Frankly, this chapter in this book I would have found easy to skip right over. Instead of that, that was one that I was assigned to do, so we have to go through it. But the whole subject of chapter 2 is false teachers. Now, I don't have anybody in mind that's a false teacher, believe it or not. As much as we listen to the radio and all that, I don't think we... I think if we have any hint that it's a false teacher, we turn it off. But uh, at any rate, that's, that's what Peter was concerned with this. It's the end of his life. He knows that he hasn't got too much longer. And it's obvious that he was concerned about false teachers. And I think back to the early days of the church, and the, one of the things that they were in a constant argument about was circumcision. Because the church was almost all Jewish to start with, and they were all circumcised, and here was a bunch of Gentiles getting saved. And a great number of the teachers, their Jewish background, said the thing to do was, okay, you're saved, you accepted the Lord, but now you need to be circumcised. Whoa! And a lot of people, a lot of the teachers said, no, no. The apostles said, no. That's not required. There is nothing required other than Jesus Christ. And so it became one of the first real arguments that they had in the midst of an evil world that they dealt with regularly. Now, there's no absence of evil in our world. No absence at all. It's probably, well, I guess every generation thinks that we have it worse than the preceding one. And I don't know if we do or not, but it's not a bad thing to think. We've got a lot of evil in our world. There's a lot of untruth told. We hear it said, right on the right in television on the newscast, the border is secured. Don't worry about a thing. And then we see a bunch of pictures of this throng of people wading across the Rio Grande and running away from the in, from the, the authorities. Let's say our criminal system is not being enforced. Now, that annoys me as a lawyer, because <laughs> I think the system is a good one. But we have major administrators that are saying, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to file charges on certain illegalities, on certain charges. I'm not going to prosecute it, period. And they're not. And it's really difficult to see how little trust and respect there is in the conversations in our nation. Trust is something that's really lacking because we've seen so many of these other things going on. City streets are not safe. And that's really becoming an issue in some major cities that we have. And over, over, over that, as a great background, we have the fear of war and nuclear catastrophe. <laughs> now, I grew up with that. You know, they, our answer in school, if an atomic bomb occurred, was to sit under our desk. And it proceeded to have, proceeded with uh, safe places to go and a place of work.
and you had to have your supplied. I remember because I had to know some of this stuff. You had a supply, a certain amount of supplies in the uh, shelter, in the office, down in the basement. Not only that, but there's a wide variation in Christian, parentheses, Christian churches and their teaching. You look at the and wonder whether how ineffective they are. <clears throat> there are churches that focus on social, political, and community focus. How can we be kind to all the people in the in the area, and how can we eliminate differences so that they would be happy to come to church? Well. I think the church is consistently counter, counter to society. Has been since the Lord was here, and it continues to be. And one of those main passages that we refer to quite regularly here is the idea of all have sinned. It's one of the big lessons in the scriptures. Every single person. Yet society doesn't think that's the case. They have the idea that every child that's born is born perfect. The only reason that there's any problem is because they've gotten negatively impacted by society. We know that's not true. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Versus that born innocent idea which is really a lie. And I think it's one that's easy to see if you've had children coming up in the coming up in the family. Who taught them to tell a lie? Did you tell them how good it was to tell a lie? No. You tried to get them not to tell a lie. And yet they all did eventually. Did you take another cookie? No. It was my brother. You know, whatever. All of sin is truth. And there really is no united message, message of the gospel and God's standards. What you end up with is selection of churches that are a combination of peculiarities. And you sort of pick the one you want to deal with. But none of these things matter. Because as a society, as a world, we are trying our best to ignore God completely. We grew up in Chicago. Well, grew up. we didn't grow up in Chicago. We lived in Chicago a long time, twice. And one of the things that you noticed was when a serious issue came up that had some biblical influence or biblical background, the news people used to quickly contact Moody Church. And we thought that was a good idea. And the pastor of Booty Church would be asked what he thought about it, and he would generally tell you, and it was generally solid. I don't notice any asking, any opinion, as far as God is concerned, about anything that's going on in our world. We are running our own show, and we don't want any interruption of that. 
So let's look at this, this false teacher's idea. Frankly, we can see them today. I can't think of a name to name, and I won't. But my verses are from verse 18 through 22 of chapter 2. Let me read them. Describing false teachers. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. For if, after they are promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome, by this he's enslaved. And if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. <laughs> That's a nasty last verse, isn't it? You can't get by some of these verses, though. And it's something to really think about. It describes, to some degree, the means of a false teacher. They're arrogant and, may and vain men. Personal impact is important. And very often you see the ones that uh, suffer a crisis could be very nicely dressed with a $100 haircut and all of the things that go with it. You'd think they were a politician, for crying out loud. But they must look authoritative. They must act authoritative. And that arrogance and vanity are in evidence. Because fleshly desires are being recommended. That's what, that's what that verse is saying. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Sensuality is always a part of the message. And you'll notice in verse 19, a major subject is individual freedom promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves. A false teacher wishes to uh, make it clear that what he's saying gives that person individual freedom in personal life. Individual freedom. Oh, that's... The false teacher is selling liberty. Liberty while denying God. Now, does that sound familiar? Think about marriage. What does our world have to say about it? It's old-fashioned lifestyles. It should not be imposed on anybody what the Bible has to say about marriage. Yet, the failure of new ideas is ignored. The fact that divorce has become routine in our world. Routine. Not even anything to think about. It's just, oh, another one. Accept it. And accepting these things, you accept the, the deception that's involved in it, and the fact that 
Loneliness and depression often follows divorce. People do not have a great life after divorce. Many people find a big part of their life is just chewed up as a part of divorce. There are zero standards being, and that's what's being uh, talked about today, that the Bible is outmoded, legalistic. Don't bother to worry about what the Bible says. What difference does it make? We're not even sure that God exists. Why worry about the Bible? I bet most of you have heard an advertisement that just has struck me lately. It's a cute little song. And it advertises somebody that will assist with travel and that kind of thing. Go where you want to go. Do what you want to do. You ever heard that one? As we all ought to be able to do. To go where we want to go, do what we want to do, and no action is excluded no matter what we want to do. Freedom. Freedom, as the, as the false teachers would say, is freedom to follow the folly of the false teacher. Now, may it still be part of the local church. Sometimes these ideas are co-opted by a, by a local church. Tolerance is something that is hugely abused today. But we are told we've got to be tolerant. We've got to be really seriously reaching out to the people that differ from us and accept them for what they are. Two, accept them as changed society and use that for the Lord. We want to have people come in that may be, pers- may be persuaded on these things. And what happens? What happens as this gets down the road a little bit is we discover that it gets pushed to gender selection, for instance. And we have children being taught in school, ones that want to be a girl or want to be a boy in contrast to who they are, who they have been born to be. And the attitude of God, the attitude of the Bible, even the attitude of very creation is considered not relevant because there is no recognition of God at all. We've passed this level. And if God is mentioned in arguing some points, it's considered superstition. Because after all, you may be talking about God and he may not exist. So you're really relying on a superstition that God is everywhere and God exists. God is as the Bible says it is. And instead of relying on what the scriptures have said, we tend to rely on treatment, counseling, hospitalization for addiction, and even though there's little success seen with that or a complete cure, And we find we're doing nothing but importing fentanyl in great quantities. And they show it on TV, the mountains of pills that are getting smuggled in, all of which can kill people that take it. Now, what happens here? What happens is the preaching of the gospel in the church 
by false teachers have people acting like Christians that are not believers at all. We've been told the way of salvation is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's pretty simple. What about belief? And you read your whole Bible, and one of the things I do is daily I try, or daily, I, maybe weekly I try to keep caught, caught up on my Bible reading, but I try and read through the Bible every year. Generally I do that. And you get into reading some places that you hadn't read. <laughs> and some of them are pretty tough. You say, what am I doing reading this? But you need to know those kinds of things. And it's a time of limited commitment. And that, I think, is what Peter was very concerned about as he thought about false teachers, was failure through limited commitment. Verse 20 says this, For if after they escape the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. That's a hard verse. Because how do you know you're a Christian? How do you know you're not one of those that are getting entangled? Now, I've, when my father died, this is a number of years ago, one of the things I got was his Bible. And my father wasn't a preacher. He was a lawyer and a career lawyer. He was also a naval officer in the past, but other things, you know, he, he was not primarily a Bible student, it didn't seem. But he read it regularly, and he knew what he read. And I read this quote, and it was written in the back, by him, it was written in the back of his Bible. And it's a quote of a, one of those old Puritan people, uh, Difficult to read sometimes, but I'd like to read it to you. Not that long. It was something of a definition of Christianity. Christianity was and is that God who made the earth and its creatures took at a certain time upon the earth the flesh and form of man. And that flesh sustained the pain and died the death of the creature he had made. Rose again after death into glorious human life, and when the date of the human race is ended, will return in visible human form and render to every man according to his work. Christianity is the belief in and love of God thus manifested. Anything less than this, the mere acceptance of the sayings of Christ, or the assertion of anything less than divine power in his being. Maybe, for aught I know, enough for virtue, peace, and safety, but they do not make people Christians. Have you ever thought that deeply about it? I've been struck with that ever since I found it. I wrote it in the back of my Bible. Because there's things that we think we believe but we may take enough away that we're not really believing. Knowing the person of Jesus Christ and who he is, God's son, but one of the Godhead as well. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
They were all there at creation. The Gospel of John says who, who created it was the Son. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You want to argue about creation? There's the definition of creation. All made by God. And this Puritan, John Ruskin, made that statement, which I think is quite a good one. But one of the things that is really emphasized there is knowledge is not enough. Get that, please. Knowledge is not enough. Knowing the Bible is not enough. We as believers, as Christians, we deal in spiritual, not material matters. We deal with faith. Faith. What we believe. Some of these people that are false teachers felt that they could promise the blessing, demonstrate improvement. Fine, and, and yet the people that make those limited commitments find that the good life is not happening. They want the improvement they've seen in believers. Perhaps they look like Christians in a group. Perhaps, quote, spiritual growth, close quote, has eluded them in spite of their efforts. How do you explain faith to others? That's a tricky question, isn't it? How do you explain it? Beyond self and desire. But overcome by themselves, even with some knowledge of the Bible, they wanted the liberty to live by their own standards. Do what you want to do. Go where you want to go. We'll help you. And they found themselves worse off than when they started. And Peter writes about that in these four verses. They weren't true believers, but they may have satisfied the standard of the false teachers of the time. And it happens today. And it's sad to think of these people being so completely deceived. And I think that's the thing we've got to think about in this passage of Scripture, in this chapter of Scripture. They were completely deceived, and that's what Peter was trying to avoid in this last letter that he wrote. Therefore, we have to preach all the truth about Jesus Christ. We don't leave anything. We've got to hold it all together. He is God himself. God himself. In flesh, dying on a cross for us. And this statement is made, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Do you believe in the Lord? Do you believe, have you thought through that person of Jesus Christ who you are believing in? Really important. In verse 21, it talks about something that I think is really important in this, in this passage. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. 
Not to have known the way of righteousness. What's that about? This is apparently what they could come to know, less than the full thing. The false teachers had gotten this through to them, not faith. But the fact is that Jesus Christ must be fully accepted in order to be saved. God himself. Nobody less than that. This is God himself laid down his life on the cross died so that he could be the redeemer of mankind, of men, of you and me. And how do we get that redemption? We believe in him. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No compromise. Nothing deleted from him. He died to be the the redeemer. Knowledge is not enough. I think these verses, as I work my way through this, knowledge is not enough. Faith is required. Faith. Really putting your trust in Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as incremental salvation. It is not negotiable. We cannot say to God, I'll give up this, but I'm hanging on to this. and Somehow get an in-between relationship with God. There's no such thing. Believing in Jesus Christ plus anything is wrong. Nothing is added to that. He has won it all. And as that Puritan wrote, it may be enough for virtue, peace, and safety to follow the verbal statements of Jesus Christ and know a good bit about him. And they may consider themselves godly people. They may think themselves spiritual people. But they're not Christians. Not Christians. That can be that they have missed the way of righteousness. Is what that passage says. How bad it is not to have known the way of righteousness and being known it, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. The commandment is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How sad it is for someone who believes in something they have come to know and have never really made a commitment to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I can't tell what's what. Only you know. Only you know where your faith is put. And it needs to be put right 100% on Jesus Christ. I want to talk a little bit about that, this way of righteousness. Because I think that's a really important thing. And I take from this some verses that have been just, the Lord has just given me these verses and I can't get them out of my mind. And I'm seeing other things in the context of these verses in Romans chapter 3. And I think it is a the huge inflection point in the New Testament. It's the place where everything changed. As it's written, verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. But now, apart from the law, 
The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But now, apart from the law, forget about the law. Here's a great change. It, it follows, verse 20, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's the whole purpose of the law. They show we couldn't keep it. So we couldn't possibly meet that standard, which is the standard of God. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been published. It's been easy to see. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there's no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. How many times have you quoted that verse right out of the middle of that passage? All of a sudden, fall short of that great truth. It is absolutely true. And here's the answer for it. The righteousness of God is available through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There's no distinction for all of a sudden, fall short of the glory of God. Nobody is bringing anything to God that's worthwhile. But the God, but the righteousness of God has been revealed, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Justified, a gift, redemption, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Whoa, that's a theological word. What's a propitiation? A propitiation is a sacrifice that meets all the demands of a failed person before a holy God. What's the propitiation? Who is the propitiation? It's Jesus Christ as a propitiation in his blood through faith. That's how it works. That is how it is. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. Unconditional. It's not, I'll give you this much, Lord. It's committing ourselves in total to him. And I don't know exactly how to explain that completely. But it's faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from the law. Everything's changed. Used to be up to that very point of the cross of Christ. It used to be a very defined legal system. You wanted to make a sacrifice because of sin. You went to the temple. You brought the sacrifice there. You had a priest, an army of priests that would take it and offer it. And it would be accepted. But it had to go to one place, the tabernacle or the temple. And that was it. That was all there was. But without the law, apart from the law, Don't worry about all those failures under the law. It's all done by Jesus Christ. Propitiation and redemption. Those things are also kind of theological words. But what it says is that he has done it all. And the holy commandment is to believe. Boy, it sounds simple, doesn't it? 
But it really matters what you believe. Is that true down at the very core, the very depth of your life? That it's all done by Jesus Christ who is the propitiation and redemption. Believe it. The holy commandment delivered to them. These people that Peter is very concerned about stopped short of faith in Jesus Christ. They continued with, they had the knowledge, as it says, of the righteousness of God. But stopped short of faith. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good way to explain a lot of things. Uh Uh-uh. What's required is a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, to accept him as Savior, and he will step into our lives. This is what believers know and live by. It's not our own effort. And about the time we think we've contributed something to God, he tends to remind us that we really didn't. It was something he gave us that we gave back. They turned away from the faith that was delivered to them. They returned, I'd suggest, to self-justification and away from the righteousness of God to the righteousness of man. And an awful lot of what people believe in today is the righteousness of man. Can we be good enough to please God? The fact of this is there's only one way of salvation. One way. Heaven, that's exclusive. You mean you're excluding everybody else other than this one way of salvation? Yes, I am. It's going to be a devastating event when the Christians are taken out in the rapture. Because all the rest are lost. There's a motivation for the wit- for witnessing for Jesus Christ. Anybody you really care about that you don't think knows the Lord, you really need to talk to them and present to them the plan of salvation. There's only one answer for sin. <coughs> for the fact that all of, all of sin then falls short of the glory of God. There's nothing about a compromised salvation with God. We don't get to negotiate it. Lord, I've, I've really had good intentions. I just didn't, wasn't able to quite live up to them. That doesn't get you anything. It's that commitment, that personal commitment to Jesus Christ. And it's based on the propitiation. The fact that he and his person I find it very hard to imagine God sending his son to die for this world. I've lost one son. He's in heaven, thankfully. So I haven't really lost him. But he leaves a hole in my life. A big one. Happily, I've got another couple of sons and they're doing well and they all know the Lord. So I'm not worried about where they're going in in the end of their life, as I'm not particularly worried about myself. But we come to Jesus Christ, who alone died, who was a successful sacrifice for sin. The only one. He's the one. His death allows 
salvation to happen for us. And as a result, we receive the righteousness of God. Because he's the righteousness of God. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there's no distinction. We get the righteousness of God. Not the, not the ultimate righteousness of men, but the righteousness of God. And we will never give any statement about our sin. It's taken care of. It's done. Because of Jesus' death. And there's no other way. No other possibility. No other sweet talk. It's just because of Jesus Christ. And that's that to me is a watershed change that's spelled out in these Romans 3 verses. That now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we stand if you're a believer. All sin is forgiven because of Jesus' death. And we're never going to answer for it again. And it's a watershed change. Because there was no promise like this in the Old Testament, in that sacrificial system. The whole system was one, if you obey, I'll bless you. If you don't obey, you're going to find a curse applied to you. None of that anymore. There is one way. There is one person, Jesus Christ. And that's the source of the believer's confidence. And then you can go on and read the rest of the scriptures and be confident in them. Because that propitiation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the basis for all salvation, for everything that follows it, the faith that follows it, by from us to God, the righteousness of God that is given that follows it. The justification, we're justified. You don't hear anybody's court proceeding to to be stated, we let him go and he's justified. When is the last time you ever heard anything about, about somebody that was accused of a crime being acquitted and claim and statement is made he's justified? You didn't. He was found innocent or wasn't convicted, perhaps better. And from that we get assurance. We're totally confident. Because the next event that has anything to do with us who are believers in Jesus Christ is the Lord's return. Peter's going to get to that in the next chapter. And then he's going to go even further than that. He's going to talk about the ultimate destruction of the world, of all creation. But what about us? What's the promise the Lord made? We're going to be presented faultless before the throne of God. Can you imagine that? We're not going to be there proclaiming our improvements that we've made in our lives. There are too few, and we find ourselves with plenty of faults. But we're going to be presented faultless before the throne of God. I guess I have a vision sort of in my mind of the Lord the Lord and I stepping up and the Lord saying to the Father, this is Evan Davis, he's faultless. 
and I'm pleased to introduce him. My wife couldn't introduce me like that. <laughs> but he's going to say I'm going to introduce him as faultless because of what I've done. I was the propitiation for his sin. And the sin is remembered no more. Now that's what salvation's all about. And I hope I may have jogged you into, into thinking seriously about it. That last ugly verse in chapter 2 is where Peter ends this. Sort of typical of Peter, I think. He just whammed in. Those that only get so far and walk away from the Lord are just like a dog returning to its vomit. Or a pig who you just cleaned up walks right out and jumps into the mud again. Pretty apt description. But it also gives the implication of lost. If you look that verse up in Proverbs 26, you see that it's the choice of a fool. His own false faith, and he remains condemned. That's the message of those first four, those four verses. Think about it. Please think about it. And particularly young people who need to know the Lord. And you may have decided that you do. You've been going to Sunday school for a good long time. You gotta, you have a lot of Bible that you understand. I was that way. When I went to that Sunday school and that assembly in Elizabeth, New Jersey, I wasn't a Christian. But I knew a lot of Bible. Because I'd been under the teaching of my mother primarily, but I'd gone to Sunday school in various places. But I came home one day and said, I don't want to go to Sunday school anymore. All they want me to do is color, and I don't like the color. And that was when she took me to some of the Bible, her Bible study friends from the assembly, and I became part of the Sunday school. And they waded right into it. Right into it. Started giving you things to think about <laughs> that you never thought about before. About the rapture, about the coming of the Lord, about what the Lord had said, about all these things. To a little 10, 11 year old kid. But that was what I needed. I needed to think about the Bible. I always accepted it. And because they always wanted to have a... I used to think that, well, I'm not going to even say that. But they were really concerned about, did I know the Lord? Was I saved? I had people buttonholing me every, almost every Sunday. Wonderful people from that assembly. So I made myself up as a, a, a conversion story. And it was a pretty good one. When I told them when I got saved, they walked away and said, okay, I'm satisfied. And I stopped getting buttonholed all the time. But I wasn't saved. 
I had never really believed in the Lord. It wasn't until I, the Lord had real grace and handed me a handed me right in my face the fact of His existence, and I knew for sure He was in my life if I would accept Him. And it was no trick. I knew how to be saved. I knew all this business about accepting the Lord, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I had that verse memorized like everything else. But finally, finally, I accepted the Lord. And I sensed the Holy Spirit coming into my life. I sensed the fact that everything that I have learned had application. And I sensed the fact that I was the Lord's. And I am so thankful that that's true. And that's what I would wish for every single person that hears the gospel. And I would join with Peter in saying, think about this. Because this is what's involved. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we know that salvation and what we talk about so readily is not simple. We struggle to define faith. We struggle to define what we are talking about as we present the gospel to others and ask them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we trust and know that many do. But Lord, I pray that you would give us each each and every one the sensibility to know whether or not we are believers, whether we are Christians, whether we have truly accepted the Lord and are looking forward to glory with him. We know that's your desire for us. And we just ask that you would you would bring this clearly to everybody that listens. So we thank you, Lord. Separate us now with your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.